Our Old Testament scripture this morning is um, Psalm 29. The psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. For the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Siron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, Let's now look at the gospel account according to Mark. Chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. So as he taught Jesus, he said, Beware of the scribes. They like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses. And for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. And then he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Now many rich people put in large sums, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth about a penny. And then he called his disciples, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, This poor widow is put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them, they have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. The sermon before the sermon. Actually, it's not a sermon, friends. Just to say once again, uh, it is such a blessing to be here. I am grateful to John for inviting me to come back uh, wherever he may be. And uh, it's always good to be with you and worshiping with you. But this is a special blessing for me. Um, First of all, to stand in a pulpit that is now safe. Uh, If you ever stood in the pulpit before the sanctuary's renovation, uh, you know that it was a little bit tricky getting up and down the steps 
Did any of you ever notice that when I went up and down, I always grabbed on to the railing? Um, this is much easier to get around, I will have to admit. But more than that, I congratulate you as a congregation and certainly give the glory to God for an incredible renovation of this historic sanctuary. Um, my understanding is, I think I was told by Vaughn McLaughlin that your architects won an award um, because what they had been able to do was take a very, very old historic sanctuary and maintained the beauty of it and its integrity and yet at the same time gave it a modern feel for today's world. And uh, I can see why they won one. Um, I was part of the early conversation when the trustees in session were talking about the needs of this sanctuary. Then there was also a house next door. Um, the trustees would have loved to have purchased at that point and knew that you needed to expand your parking and there was no money for any of it. And Cindy Durr came to me and said, Guy, we need to do something, we need to get started. And I said, well, Cindy, let's, why don't you and I put together a proposal and take it to the session? And so we did about getting started some kind of two committees, one working on the money, one working on the actual renovations, et cetera. And as I said to the session, if you were on the session at that time, you will remember I said to you, the best gift you could give for the pastor coming in, whoever that's going to be, we have no idea, is to have this already started so he or she doesn't have to be the one to get things going. You'll already be on your way. And that's exactly what happened. The other part of it was, was of course, there was a big dollar sign. And it was probably maybe my last session meeting, or second to last, I don't remember, when Jan Wagner brought to the session the indication that you had been left a bequest, unbeknownst to anyone, that this person would be, even be able to do it, much less do it. And the indication was, as I read the letter from the attorney, was that what you were already receiving was only the beginning. And such was the case. I've known you to be a congregation of extreme generosity, and I am glad that I've been a part of you in knowing that. But I believe that God has also blessed you for a reason. And you know that, and so is I. So do I. But I just want to say how blessed I am as a pastor with 40 years of experience to have been a part of your congregation here. Sharon um, Gregor was afraid she announced in the beginning that I retired immediately after John came. I did, and that it was you that made me retire. <laughs> I assured her and all of you, no, that was not the case. When uh, Sue Murphy and the rest of the search committee came to Chancellor Presbyterian Church to interview me, uh, I indicated my intention to retire whatever, wherever I went after Chancellor, I would be retiring. And so I did, uh, literally the next day. And I intended to keep it that way, even though Aaron Cox Holmes asked me twice if I would take another interim. And each time I politely said, no way, I'm retired. She said, well, you do such a good job. And I said, well, that may be the case, but I want to end 
remembering chestnut level. I was a Carol uh, Burnett, Burnett up here. I don't want to struggle again. And you were, I said to some of you before I left, if I could have asked God for any congregation which I would end my 40 years of ministry, it would be chestnut level. And I thank you for that. And I thank you that I can come back and say that to you today. Many of you remember when you first met me, I had something here. I had a patch. I almost brought it today as a reminder. <laughs> Scared the living daylights of the kids on Christmas Eve because they're thinking, why does this man think it's Halloween? It's Christmas Eve. Um, Thank you for your questions. Some of you have asked me how I'm doing. I need to be honest with you. I cannot see out of this eye. It never improved. So I am essentially blind in the left eye. Uh, my right eye does all the work, and sometimes it gets tired and it doesn't want to do it. But at age 70, I am glad that I can even be able to see and be here. So, thus, a laptop. I am so glad that we have... Um, uh, the technology that we have, because what it means is I can now have my sermon as big print as I possibly could. It's like my own teleprompter, and I have it, except I have to move it. And uh, so if you're wondering what this is, uh, that's my message there, folks. So uh, when it's done, I'm done, and then we can go home and go back and get cookies or whatever. <laughs> okay? I was also told that some of you need to move. You're not going to... Okay. I was told that some of you don't want to be on Zoom, so you just kind of get out of here. But, well, then smile <laughs> and do not fall asleep. That's very embarrassing because <laughs> the whole world is watching you. That's what happens when it's like TV evangelism, all that kind of stuff, and you're in the choir sitting behind the preacher and they're going. <laughs> so anyway, shall we get started? Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was during World War II and a young soldier who had been shipped overseas wanted to send a telegram to his girlfriend because he thought it would make an even greater impression on her. One problem, he didn't have enough money to make it very long. So he simply told the operator to word it as follows. Sherry, I love you. I love you. I love you. John. Now, isn't that sweet? That's, that's why I wanted to keep this up here. That's so sweet. The operator then let him know that he could include one more word for the same amount of money. So he thought about it, and he amended his message. Sherry, I love you. I love you. I love you. Cordially, John. <laughs> Somehow I see women laugh more than I do men. <laughs> I wonder if at times we too send mixed messages to Jesus. 
about our love for him? Do we really love him with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength? Or is our relationship with him merely more cordial than passionate? If we look at the widow in this morning's passage, we not only get a glimpse into who she was at her very core, but also the kind of love God desires for you and for me to have for him. Mark tells us that Jesus was sitting the opposite side of the street from the temple just to observe the people who had come to bring their offerings. Now, of course, Mark has been very clear to talk about what Jesus had been talking about just before that was about the religious leaders who loved to pontificate, who loved to be out there and be seen, to be in front of everybody, while at the same time they were devouring widows' houses. What that means is they were taking the money of the vulnerable and using it for themselves. Some of us have seen some of those kinds of violations with those in the prosperity gospel, men and women who are flying in private jets, some own more than one, living in mansions and such, and then telling the people in the congregation they're not giving enough. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus was talking about, that these religious leaders, and that's who they were, were out there taking advantage of the poor. So then it's obvious then that Mark mentions that first and then comes to this scene where Jesus is sitting across from the temple being a people watcher. How many of you are people watchers? You ever done that in a public place? You wonder and you make stories up and all that kind of figure out where they are and who they are and that kind of thing. I'm one of those people. In this case, he's watching a widow. And he observes, and then finally calls the disciples over in order to point out what he had observed. And so what appears to be a rather brief conversation with him, it's probably a summation by Mark, Jesus shares three basic observations he was able to make in just a matter of minutes by watching this woman. In summary, they were, she had an open relationship with God. Second, she trusted God to supply all her needs. And third, she wanted to be part of God's ministry to others. Wow, a three-part sermon. I haven't preached one of those in a long time. Let's take those points, though, individually. She had an open relationship with God. This poor widow, from a human point of view, had every reason, perhaps, to be angry with God, to be bitter, not only over the fact that she had been left in grief by the loss of her husband, but also she was left penniless on top of it. For those of you seated here this morning who are widows or widowers, you can perhaps identify with her tremendous sense of grief. Losing a life partner can be devastating. It cuts deep. We may even, if only momentarily, wonder if any good can come out of it. As an aside here, it it just dawned on me, I have to make this point 
that one of the things that now Lisa Hartman said to me after the wedding a couple of weeks ago, Guy, you were my pastor when I needed you desperately when Jimmy died. And you officiated at his funeral. And I am so blessed to have you now in one of the happiest days of my life when I become John's wife. Isn't that awesome? The way God works. Lisa was devastated. It had been hard. And I know at the moment, she was at that time wondering, how can anything good come out of this? And I know some of you others are seated here this morning, and I see you. I'm aware of you. You've lost the love of your life. And you wonder, what good is it? There was a king who owned a beautiful, pure diamond. And one day it sustained a tremendous gash. Not one of the finest diamond cutters in all of the kingdom dared to even try to repair that diamond. One day a lapidary appeared, and to the surprise of the king and his court, promised to make the diamond even more precious than it ever had been before. Now, nothing less than his head was at stake if he failed to come through with his promise. For days and days, he worked quietly and privately. And then finally, he sent word that he had completed his work. All the king's court held their breath as he laid the diamond wrapped in fine satin cloth before the king. Gently, the king pulled back the cloth. And as he did, a broad smile slowly appeared upon his face. For there before him, reflecting all the skill and artistry of a lapidary, lay the diamond, shining brilliantly with a rosebud engraved upon it. And the gash, it had become the stem God can do the same with our hurts and our lives, even of a lost one. After the initial pain and sorrow are gone, or at least have subsided, but never really gone, we're in a position to grow and to mature in Jesus Christ if we allow ourselves to do so. Through her simple act of giving, the widow was saying in part, I've come to grips with my loss, and where I've been left, And I'm over my sense of bitterness and my anger because, Lord, I still love you. With this, the widow showed, too, that she still trusted God to supply all her needs. I'm not sure we really appreciate what this woman was doing under the watchful eyes of Jesus. All she had were two copper coins or for Kim, it was two dimes, whichever you want. They were equal to about a penny. Now that's poor. You've heard some people say, I don't even have two pennies to rub against each other. Well, she had one. Jesus remarked to his disciples that she had in fact, in reality, given out of her poverty, not any wealth. It was in stark contrast to those who had come before she had come, 
arrived and simply gave out of their surplus and walked away just as secure financially as they were when before they came. They had no worries. But this poor widow was at the mercy of society. For unless your husband was wealthy when he died, or you had children to care for you, a woman on her her own like she was, was extremely vulnerable. There would be no social security check coming in for her, no monthly pension payments, no savings account, no 401k from which to draw. She was in fact at the lowest level of the economic ladder in Jewish society. And yet there she appeared, much to Jesus's fascination and yes, admiration, giving all that she had. Think about it. Now, I don't know how much you all make, whatever your household income may be, whether you're employed or retired or whatever it is. I know what my own is, I ain't telling you, but I know what it is. But let's just, for example, say that you make somewhere around $80,000 household income. And this morning, when we took the offering, you came down and you placed every bit of it in that offering plate and walked out the door. That's what she did. That's what she did. Some of us think we're doing God a big favor by giving 2 or 3% of our income. Actually, that's about the average for Presbyterians. We are Scot-Irish, you know. And if we have enough internal fortitude to reach the biblical tithe of 10%, and I know that a lot of you growing up in this area, and you shared it with me over the 20 months that I was here, that you were taught about tithing, and it's reflective in your church's giving. And that's awesome. But then we think we've met the ultimate standard of financial commitment. Someone once said to me, you know, 10% out of 100, God gets 10, I get 90. Wow, that's a pretty good bargain. And then he proceeded to say, I consider 10% to be rent money. I don't really start giving sacrificially until I'm way past the 10. Yet this lowly widow, Jesus tells us, gave for all intents and purposes, not 10%, not 40%. She gave what? A hundred percent. Now, I don't think Jesus was telling his disciples that everyone has to give in exactly the same way. Aren't you happy I just said that? Are you feeling relieved? Oh my gosh, he's not going to let us out of here until we give it all up. No. Except we do have to remember the young, rich young man who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus said, sell all you have. And then the scripture says he walked away crestfallen, sad in the face, because he knew Jesus saw through it all and knew he had a lot. And Jesus said to him, sell all you have. 
But I believe that Jesus deals with each of us individually and where we are. I don't believe in being legalistic about giving, but I do believe that we need to be listening to the Spirit, each in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we make those decisions. And that widow made her decision to do that because of her love and her relationship with Jesus. Well, not Jesus, but God at the time. You see, the bottom line is this. It's not really the amount of money that we give or that she gave. It's not even the percent that she gave, but it was rather the tremendous devotion and trust that she demonstrated. It was that that stirred the heart of Christ. By giving her last penny, she expressed a level of faith that most of us, including myself, can only envy. For by giving her last penny, she said to God, to herself, and then to you and to me thousands of years later, that her security was trusting in God, not in the riches she might possess or not possess. Finally, the widow got it right, regardless of her own circumstances. She wanted to be part of God's ministry to others. Now, how easily could she have reasoned that, in fact, she was in the one in need of ministry, not the one doing it or supporting it? And who among us here would have blamed her if she felt that way and chose to think that way and acted accordingly? But instead, she chose by a very act of the will to set herself and her pressing needs aside, and then to put all her needs in the hands of God. And that choice brought the supreme blessing and healing, the approving smile and affirmation of Jesus, who stood nearby watching her without her even knowing it. Giving ourselves in the midst of our own need can often be the key to our own healing and wholeness after a personal loss. There was a woman who could not get over the loss of her husband of 45 years, found herself constantly going to the cemetery, trying to get herself to accept the fact that he really was gone, speaking to the grave and telling him how deeply she missed him. And then she'd always return home, feeling empty and lonely. Finally, she decided to go see her longtime friend and doctor, and she told him about her despair. He listened compassionately, and he understood her pain. Why? Because he too had lost a good friend in her husband's death. And then he made a gentle request after the two of them cried together. Would she please go visit two of his patients in the hospital? They were not doing very well, and they had no family nearby to come visit them. Perhaps if she took some flowers and some conversation would help lighten the days that they're there. And so she did it. And she did it again. And she went again. 
until substituting the daily visits even to her husband's grave. And much to her surprise, she found out her own grief was lifting as she began investing herself in others in need. You know, I am sure that the poor widow never would have dreamt in her wildest dreams that some 2,000 years later, you and I would be here in a foreign land talking about her simple but profound act of devotion. But here we are, and all because Jesus was watching then. Even as he is now. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, it's hard because the world teaches us to clinch onto everything that really ultimately does not provide the ultimate security. And particularly our wealth, our possessions, those things that cannot really keep us. Help us, Lord, to follow the example of the widow, to be real with you, to reaffirm our love for you, and to demonstrate our trust in you as we give from the heart. The glory of Christ, we pray, and the people of God said in one accord, amen.